At times it seems that we have this tendency to become obsessed with the thought of aging. And we become obsessed with how can I go about reversing the aging process. Turn on the television and you're going to see commercials for lifestyle lifts, anti-aging supplements, wrinkle remover, all of those good things. And we buy products. We buy Rogaine and Grecian Formula 16 for our hair. We buy night repair for our skin. And we worry about the turkey wings under our arms. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about there, don't you? I remember I had a discussion with my doctor about those. I said, I need to ask you something. I said, Every morning when I'm getting ready to shave and I grab that shaving cream can and I start to shake it up, I said, those flabbing turkey wings that I see in the mirror bother me. What can I do about that? He said, oh, that's easy to solve. I said, really? He said, yeah, I can tell you real quick how to, what to do about that. I said, then tell me. He said, close your eyes. How many of you remember hearing... Some of you, a few years ago, that life begins at 40. I contend that whoever said that wasn't 40 when they said it. And now today we hear, well, 50 is the new 40 and 60 is the new 50. And personally, I believe there's a Greek word for that concept. It's called baloney. But when we turn to the Word of God... In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10, our text this morning reads this way. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people. That's what God said to Moses. And with a wild surprise that is perfectly natural, Moses said, Who? Me? Now, I want you to really take a look at this picture in the context of what's going on in Exodus chapter 3. Here's an old shepherd going out in front of his flock. And being a rather striking figure, you see it and you question someone who's standing by and you say, who is that old gentleman there? And the answer would be, oh, him? He's just a shepherd. The only distinction he has is that he's the son-in-law of one of the leading citizens around here. He's married to Jethro's daughter. And then the story and the conversation might continue. You know, when he came here several years ago, he created quite a commotion. Rumor has it that that old shepherd has seen better days. Some folks have even said he had a really bright future ahead of him once upon a time, but but nothing really ever came of it. You see, for the last 40 years, he hasn't done anything but keep sheep for another man. 
And since he's 80 years old now, it's pretty obvious that's all he's going to ever do. Now, had I been standing there talking to this person, and I had had the power of foreknowledge, I would have looked at this person and I said, you're dead wrong about that one. That old man that's going out in front of that flock of sheep today is going to be going out in front of another flock tomorrow. With nothing but a shepherd's crook in his hand and God in his heart. He's going to invade mighty Egypt and he's going to bring a new nation to its birth. And probably this new friend I'm conversing with would have looked at me and said, not on your life. Somebody may someday set the children of Israel free. But you can take it from me, it's not going to be that old shepherd. His best days have already gone off into the sunset. And let's be honest. We have to agree with the man that would say that. This man has logic and reason on his side. When God said, come and I'll send you to Pharaoh that you can bring forth my people, folks, Moses had three strikes against him. In the first place, we don't expect anything from Moses at this point because he's an old man. Revolutions are started and revolutions are fashioned by men that are in their younger years. Revolutions are not generally started and led by those who have reached their fourscore years. And in our day and time, quite honestly, if you look at what's going on in our world today, folks, today don't have the respect for those who are aged that they ought to have. When you get right down to it, folks don't have the respect for each other in our day and time that they ought to have. But oftentimes you see younger folks that just seem to tolerate folks that are older and consider them to be nothing more than a bother to them. Maybe that's the reason some folks are so scared of getting old. I know some people that are more afraid of the calendar than they are the atomic bomb. Now, understand this. The years do take their toll on us. And Father Time does take some things away from us. And as we turn the pages of the calendar, our bodies start to, or our minds start to write checks that there is no way our poor old bodies could ever cash. The author of Ecclesiastes speaks of the aged when he says, they're afraid of that which is high. One of the things that happens is the, the passage of time tends to freeze our enthusiasms and the passage of time tends to change our courage. As we get older, if our courage is not changed into cowardice, is it, it's at least changed into caution. As a general rule, the older we get, the less daring that we become. And the advancing of years has a way of stealing our strength. One of the surest signs of senility is when you see some old man, 55 or 60 years old, Boasting that he's as good a man as he was 30 years ago and can do anything he could do 30 years ago. 
When you hear some guy 55 or 60 years old say, well, I can do anything I could do when I was 25, you go ahead and write it down because he's got early onset dementia. He has got real problems. The calendar has already taken its toll on him. As the years pass, we are not as strong as we used to be. And folks, that's just a simple fact of life. Now, all of this said, old age is not the tragedy that Madison Avenue would like to have us believe it is. The advertising industry on Madison Avenue seems to have entered into a campaign to convince everyone that once a person has passed through childhood and youth, the rest of life is nothing but a wasteland to be endured and not enjoyed. That childhood and youth and those young years are the only part of life worth living. I have mirrors at my house. And I've reached the point that I can testify that's not the case. But this man in our text, Moses, he can testify to that. Here's a man, Moses, by name, who for him life begins at 80. The most exciting, the most productive years, the most exciting years of his life were his sunset years. Life begins. Are you listening? Life begins anytime an individual has a personal encounter with God and puts himself or herself completely into the hands of God. When you respond to the voice that says, Come and I'll send you, it's then that life takes on a new dimension. Whether it's when you're 18 or whether it's when you're 80. Now, admittedly, we look at Moses and we don't expect anything about out of Moses. Because not only is Moses an old man, Moses has found a kind of security. Moses has no fear of losing his position. He doesn't have to be afraid there's going to be a reduction in workforce that forces him into an early retirement. Actually, Moses' situation only has the promise of getting better with the passing of years. Because it's not going to be very long that his father-in-law Jethro is going to be gone, and then Moses is going to just step right into his position and his shoes. And since revolutions do not grow in the fat soil of security, the chances of Moses ever changing are very, very slim indeed. But folks, Moses is not just old and secure. Moses is also an old failure. The very mission that God is calling on Moses to perform is a mission that Moses failed miserably at in the springtime of his life. There's no doubt that there was a time when Moses was an excited and exciting personality. He sprang almost at a single bound from the hut of the slave to the glamour of the palace in Egypt.
He went from being a nameless nobody to a royal somebody. He was a man that had both the position and the power to help. And quite naturally, there were thousands of tired eyes of Israelites in Egypt that were focused on Moses with hope. On that fateful day, when that Egyptian princess found him in that basket in the Nile River, that Egyptian princess held that baby in her arms and she made a threefold decision. She determined that in defiance of Pharaoh's decree, that baby would not be put to death. That this this princess would adopt him as her own and guarantee that he'd have the best opportunities. His mother was going to be his nurse, and that guaranteed his faith and his character. When Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months. That was the faith of his parents. When he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was the faith of Moses himself. The faith he inherited from his consecrated parents. And then one day, The wild whisper came, he had visited his people. And in visiting his people, he had struck a blow for them. He had seen an Egyptian bully lording it over one of his own people. And so Moses, in great rage, he struck that Egyptian dead right there on the spot. Now, personally, I don't really think Moses intended to kill him. I really don't. But Moses wasn't greatly distressed about it either. He didn't lose sleep over it. He actually felt like that among the people of Israel, he would become a popular hero. And then the next day, he found two of his Hebrew brethren having an argument together. And Moses thought, I'm going to be a peacemaker between these people. But one of them turned on him. And he asked Moses, who made you a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Is that what you plan to do, Moses? For Moses, folks, that was an eye-opening revelation. His secret is no longer a secret. It also showed him something else. This Hebrew, for whom he had sacrificed everything had no appreciation of what he had done for him. This Hebrew in his ingratitude was ready to expose Moses to the very first Egyptian taskmaster that came along. So Moses took to his heels and went to Midian and buried himself there. And for 40 years in Midian, on the backside of nowhere tending his father-in-law's sheep, He tried to convince himself that his failure was in no way his own fault. Now this man, who's 80 years old, who's secure in life, and who's already failed in his mission to bring Israel out of Egyptian bondage, this is the man God has chosen 
to emancipate Israel. How did that happen? Well, the first move, folks, is on the part of God. One day Moses looks up from his task shepherding those sheep and he sees a bush blazing on the mountainside. Well, that's pretty common. It wasn't anything he was particularly interested in because he knew this bush is blazing and in just a moment it's going to be reduced and fall into nothing but gray ashes. But when he looked at the bush again, it's still burning. And that kind of interested him. It hadn't burned up. He said, I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to see this. So Moses turns from his path and goes up there and decides to investigate this thing. It was through that burning bush that God brought His message to Moses that day. That bush said something to Moses. That bush said something to Moses other than God speaking to him out of that bush. You see, Moses was like that bush. Once upon a time, Moses was all ablaze against wrong. And once upon a time, Moses was all ablaze with enthusiasm with what was for right. But, the fire that once blazed in Moses had died down to gray ash. How often does that happen? How often does that happen in our lives? That the burning hot enthusiasm in our lives grows cold and becomes nothing but gray ash. We may still go through the motions. We may still carry on. But we carry on without that same spiritual glow that we had once upon a time. That bush said to Moses, Since your fire has gone out, why did it go out? It wasn't the fault of God. And it wasn't the fault of an impossible situation. What did that bush that was burning and not being consumed have that Moses lacked? That bush had God. That bush wasn't burning because of its own resources. That bush was on fire and burning because God was in it. Long years ago, when Moses first went out in his self-assurance to strike the first blow for the liberty of his people and failed, what did he do? He gave up and he ran away. Because he had no staying power. And the reason he had no staying power was because his reliance was on Moses and his reliance was not upon God. But here's the great thing. In all of this, there's a word of hope. Because even if the fire had gone out, it didn't have to stay out. That is the wonder and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've lost that first glow of enthusiasm, you can have it rekindled. 
If you've lost that first glow of enthusiasm, you can still blaze and burn. The power of that fire that was kindled in youth can be kindled again even in old age. Here it is. We do not have to remain as we are. We don't have to be cold. We don't have to be listless. We can blaze and glow and burn if we'll give God a chance in our lives. And that's what Moses is being called on to do here. Come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. God says to Moses, come and I'll send you. Moses was just as shocked as I would have been in his shoes. If I'd been in Moses' shoes that day and this bush is burning and I hear the voice of God, come and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, I'd have said, who? Me? You're going to send me to Pharaoh? God said, Moses, it's not a question of who you are. It's a question of who I am. Moses, it's not a question of your age. It's not a question of your past failures. You put yourself in my hands today. And I'll take care of your yesterdays, Moses, and I'm going to take care of your tomorrows. So, you know the story. You've heard it in Sunday school all your life. Moses put himself in the hand of God. Moses obeyed and God won. Now, Moses didn't win because it was easy. Oh, no. My goodness, he met every form of opposition. He met stern opposition from despotic Pharaoh. And his greatest opposition, folks, his greatest opposition didn't come from his enemies. His greatest opposition came from his friends. It was the children of Israel that proved to be Moses' biggest hindrance. Because those children of Israel were the most cantankerous bunch of crybabies you ever saw. And their normal tone was a wail. But in spite of all the opposition, Moses, the man chosen of God, he won. And he won... Because nothing, nothing could make him quit. He endured. People opposed him, but he endured. They said, Moses, you can't ever do it. But he endured. They criticized him. He endured. They broke his heart with their ingratitude, but he endured. Put this down. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Nothing can defeat us in the work of the Lord if we only endure. If we fail to endure, there's nothing that's going to ever bring us victory. Now let's come back from that distant day when Moses turned aside. Let's come back to Center, Texas, September the 9th. 2018.
What about us? What about me? What about you? What about us? God says to us today, come and I'll send you to Pharaoh. Where's your Pharaoh? Pharaohs are more numerous today than they were in Moses' day. Our Pharaoh may be among our family, it may be among our friends, it may be among our co-workers, it may be among our church. But when we say yes to God, God will accept us, God will remake us, and God will bring us a new day of freedom. Maybe the voice of God is calling to you this morning and calling you to a life of service for God. Maybe the voice of God is saying you need to give your life over to me and become a Christian. And it's so easy to do that in simple trusting faith. Repenting of everything that's sin in your life, confessing the name of Jesus Christ and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. That makes you a Christian. That puts you into the kingdom. That starts your life of service to God. If you've never done that, heed that voice in obedience this morning. But maybe you've done that. And the voice of God is saying, Come, I'll send you. And God is calling you to rekindle those fires. Those hot fires of enthusiasm that once upon a time burned for the Lord. That once burned so hotly inside you. But they've grown cold and they've turned to gray ash. Listen to that voice. And return and let God rekindle those fires. I don't know the need of your life this morning, but if you need to make changes, this is your opportunity to do it as we stand and while we sing.